welcome back to episode 15 of Pounding the Table. Today is Sunday, November 8th, 2020, and Tony is California dreaming right now. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek lost a great one. And congratulations to President Biden, I think. We missed you guys over the past two weeks. Avi Locks came through with the NFL Lock of the Week with the Packers on Thursday. And we have an absolute face ripper of a podcast coming up here as we break down the election and understand how this is going to impact the stock markets moving forward. As promised, we do have a ton of questions from the audience we're finally going to get to. So super excited, Pound Nation. Let's rock. Avi, I'm loving the West Coast so far. And for those of you who are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony O'Hayan, yours truly, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here for everyone. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investment choices. Everything said on this episode and every episode of Pounding the Table as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitations. And without further ado, Avi, let's kick this thing off. I feel like Biggie over here in New York, and, and you're over in Cali. Little Tupac action. What, what's going on? What are you doing in Cali right now? I'm here visiting my little brother. He goes to Berkeley. So I figured, you know, I've been out of college since last May, and I definitely miss it. So what better time to come and hang out than with my brother in California in his senior year? Loving it. So you are recording from your brother's uh, fraternity, which is incredible. Yeah. So if you guys hear some EDM just bounce on in the background, uh, that's what's going yeah, on. It's, <laughs> it's been so loud here, but honestly, it's a good time. It's a good time. Let's jump right into it, man. So earnings, crazy week last week, tons of news. How did we do last week? We're going to jump right in here. Darren Anderson. Anderson will kick us off asking about net. So clearly had a massive surge last week. So Nets here sitting live at 64.47. The shares of Cloudflare surged over 11% now here after hours. Massive earnings report, Tony. Yeah, they reported a third quarter loss of 26.5 million, nine cents a share, which was compared with their loss of 40.9 million or 35 cents a share in the period last year. But that's actually like, okay, like I want to see a company putting more money into their growth and development. I mean, we've been talking about this Cloudflare one thing, obviously that costs money to develop and they've been doing really well in just expanding that entire CDM optimized network that combines the that cybersecurity, that optimized networking for an entire company. So I think they're definitely moving in the right direction. You want to see a company putting money back into what they're doing to just get that lead in the area and and really just become the forerunner of that space. I mean, we talked about how they're doing right now what Fastly was meant to do next year. The revenue rose uh, up 54%. So that's 40 million increase to 114.2 million from 73.9 million last year's period. But I, I do want to point out that this does have a 50 times price to sales ratio. So that's definitely high on the valuation end. But if people think this is going to be the CDM front runner of that optimized network using Cloudflare One that they're going to keep rolling stuff out on and everyone's really trying to get into right now, that's it's, it wouldn't surprise me to see it kind of base here for a while, but over time, this will go higher. Just might be one of those things where the valuation needs to catch up, but I, I still don't see why the 100 magnet would be too far off for this guy. So you're going to continue pounding or are you, uh, now we got to introduce smacking your forehead. <laughs> here. Right. Shout yeah. out to Howard <laughs> Lindzen on that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I obviously love the company. I wish it was like half the price to sales, but once again, like TTD was really expensive and we'll talk about that in a second and it doesn't seem to matter. So I guess when things have huge news that they're going to be revolutionizing an entire industry, the valuation can matter a little less. Yeah. So you just mentioned TTD. Let's just hop over Roku. We'll talk about that one here in a second, but TTD was absolutely crazy last week. I know we bought originally around 160, I think last winter, and, and now it's at 800. 800- 
19. So Tony, I thought you were an absolute madman. You said it was going to go to a thousand and now it's actually feasible. So what's going on with TTD? Is this thing actually going to run to a thousand? You think? Yeah. I mean, I think what TTD is seeing is just being that new wave company in, in a very, very big space that impacts a lot of people that we were talking about. So I got a lot of DMs too about TTD. Obviously their earnings were great and I have not seen a huge 200 point run in a $600 stock like that in a while since like Mealy. So even though it does have a 52 times price to sales, I really don't think that that's going to be something that's going to hold it back in the future. I mean, you've seen Zoom and Shop, they have like way higher or the same at least uh, in price to sales. So the valuation for this one is once again, not being looked at as much just because what they're doing. So their work on an initiative called the Unified ID 2.0, so that's a new approach to online identity that replaces third-party cookies, is very, very big. And I've had a lot of people on my Twitter message me about like saying how huge this is, how that's going to be just like the industry standard, and a bunch of big, big firms are moving over to TTD, which which makes complete sense to me. But the only thing is that their earnings were only up 32%, so they did 216 million in the third quarter. And I mean, and the valuation now is I, I don't know, it's like 38 billion now, so it is very, very high for that growth, but. I think for me, this is not something I'm adding. I'm kind of just like watching it. And and I don't have a huge position anymore. It's one of those that I definitely missed out on. But I mean, I can't complain. I I was getting into Mealy Square and SC with profits from TTD. But it would have been nice to hold it all the way to 820, like in all my shares, not just like a small amount of shares. Let's keep ripping here with Roku. Absolutely insane, right? So Roku is now up 14%. The company has added over close to 3 million new active accounts in Q3 alone, right? So they're set to reach 46 million overall now. And our boy, Leon Lotto, has been pounding this forever. So props to Leon. We started pounding this one on episode eight. So about August 23rd, I had to go back when the price was 147. It is now 253.36. So increase of about 42%, Tony. This one, you're going to uh, continue to pound here or are you going to smack your forehead? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pound the table on this one still. I just think that it's... Uh... Relative to all the other beasts of companies, like, I mean, if you compare that to just TTD, for example, and, and with Roku's purchase of Dead Axie, like, it's very interesting to see that Roku is trading, like, so cheap compared to the other ones. So it's not something that I'm worried about being way too stretched in their valuation. And, I mean, clearly, they're over here owning the industry. I mean, if you look on Amazon, the top buys for this, like, you know, category of, of Roku TVs and platforms, and so, like, the Fire Stick versus Roku, it's like Amazon has Roku in the top 10 for the majority of all those products. So... I mean, if if you're on the platform with the biggest competitor and you're still making up a lot of the top 10, you're doing very well for yourself. And clearly it's not slowing down anytime soon. And, and now that they're like continuously more profitable and doing better in that regard, I, I'm definitely going to give this a longer term pound still. So Leon, you, you definitely nailed this one. I mean, I've been trading this one a lot in and out since, you know, like even in the nineties and stuff, but for me, it's hard because it only moves sometimes. So uh, it's one of those like set and forget stocks, less of a trade trade kind of stock. We just touched on Howard. So last week he came on, guest appearance with the pound on Farfetch. So ticker symbol FTCH went from 29 to 42.48, literally since we had episode 14, which is about two weeks ago, you came on with the double pound. So 32% uh, in two weeks, not bad, kid. Not bad at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm a fan of this one for sure, still long-term. I think that there's a lot of people interested in e-commerce in general, but you'd be surprised to see how well relatively the luxury markets held up versus just the standard retail e-commerce during the pandemic. You had that retail drop all around, which obviously flocked a lot of people to e-commerce, but the amount of money that the people with more money who buy these luxury goods lost is, is very like much less relatively than, than just the average middle class, like everyday person like us. Like those people, were spending less in general, but the, I guess, rich, quote unquote, rich, were not spending much, much less than they usually do. 
and they also had a lot of savings. So you can see that this market is getting bigger and bigger, and it's very insulated from a lot of these different risks. I'm a huge fan of this deal with Alibaba. When you see a big company, like a beast company like Alibaba, get in there and partner with something like Farfetch, you see now it's now it's a global company. So they not only started buying these specific retail brands like Off White, which is obviously huge with the kids, um, and I mean their parent company. So there's other brands within that, but it's just a huge platform where you can have all these different like Louis Vuittons, Gucci, everyone buy and sell on there, but it's from directly from, from those producers. So instead of having to go to louisvuitton.com to buy a Louis bag, which I obviously don't own any of, but instead of having to just go to the website to buy one thing or go to the Gucci site to buy one thing, or I don't like a, I don't know what fancy dresses uh, people wear, but anyway, this thing allows you to get them all in one place. And they also offer some deals too, and especially deals on their own things that they buy. So they owned now that parent company of Off-White, so they can offer specials and deals from that. So they're the platform, but they're also becoming the producers. And that market in China for luxury goods is so big, and it's much bigger than the US market. So getting in there was huge for them. I think it's only trading around uh, 13 billion market cap right now. So if you consider that they, they do, I think they do like 2 billion in rev, or they will do that next year or something close to that. Um, not one of those really overpriced ones for me either, especially with all this great news flow coming out on it. Mercado Libre. So ticker symbol M-E-L-I, our number one pound for both Tony and I. I think that that is our number one position for both of us. Yeah, that one. I mean, it's really tied with SE. People ask me, which one do you like more? And I, I honestly have to give them both like a 99.9 out of 100. So it's hard for me to say this one's better than that one. They're just a little different, but both equally, you know, that that strength is there, that desire for the, those three different branches of what they do is there. So it's a very, very similar company and just very different spaces that need to be grown, you know, Southeast Asia and Latin America, both very good developing areas. So I'm a big fan of both of them, but Mealy is my baby, honestly. Yeah. And Melly, it's, you say Mealy, I say Melly. It's like GIF versus uh jeff that type tomato of, uh, potato exactly <laughs> but this one was massive we started talking about this one uh episode five i believe and so you loaded more i remember it was at 1172 when we first pounded it went down to 980 you loaded the boat and it's gone absolutely parabolic 1485 today they went up 1.1 billion in the third quarter alone so 85 percent more than the previous year i know you're still pounding this but give a little bit more light here to pound nation as to why please yeah, I mean, when you see a company like this, and, and I know the market cap now is seventy-five billion, but if they're over here doing one point two billion a quarter or one point one billion in a quarter, so you're going to think that maybe they'll do next year like five, six, seven billion total. I mean, even if you just give that a ten x multiple, but growing at eighty-five percent, it can have a twenty x multiple size. Like I don't even—that's not even aggressive for it at all. So the only reason it's not worth more than Shop is because it's not a U.S. company, and people are like they have risk for non-US companies. But if you think about it now with Biden being president, and we'll get into all that more later, there's a lot less fear from tensions in other countries. I think that people will be putting more and more money into these non-US companies because you don't have to worry about tariffs on Chinese companies, or you don't have to worry about, you know, like whatever else things that would have happened previously in this other administration that we've seen people get scared of these companies that are not in the US for. So they definitely would probably allow Mealy to increase their like their multiple just because people will have much more excitement and demand for it and i and i do think it's going to split at some point because it's i mean it's one of the most pricey stock prices now i mean it's almost 1500 so you've only got things like amazon and booking and google that are really much more pricey than it so it can easily split. And I think that once it splits, because it's in a liquid stock, people will be piling into that left and right. So I really would be shocked if it doesn't catch up to shops market cap, which would give it another, I guess, uh, like 70, 80% gain from here. 
just to be even fair in valuation because it does make more revenue and more profit than Shopify. Yeah, and you mentioned SC earlier. You mentioned, is this one going in tandem, you're saying? Yeah, they, they, they do move a lot in tandem, I think, just because you can kind of see it's uh, developing countries in both, like, or developing areas in both companies. So they also do very similar things, right? Like SC's e-commerce and they also do payment processing, but also SC has this video game department, this like, e-sports gaming kind of thing that they do. So it's mm-hmm. very cool. That I, That's why I love SC and that's why it's hard for me to compare the two because, you know, the growth in SC all over. There was literally around a million viewers of their Free Fire League Championship. So their Free Fire had literally a million people sit there and watch people play video games. We talked about Feek last week. Video games is a massive industry, right? So SC has their Garena line of their business. So is this something that you do see moving in parallel with Melia? Obviously different businesses, but in the yeah. same spade as a spade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing about Melia and SC is that SC's it's got these legs. So it is like 20, 25% or so higher market cap, which is appropriate because it has those three legs and how fast they're going. But I, I can't say one's better than the other because Mealy is just dominating Latin America, which has so many people and the infrastructure there is really, really low for all this stuff. Like there's so much room to grow in Latin America for e-commerce, just like in like infrastructurally like it's just the best play for them to be doing this kind of e-commerce growth and also for payment processing like they've allowed so many people to get into having an online business and get into buying stuff online and se is doing the same thing in southeast asia which for me is just you know i kind of see them as very very similar stocks in just very different areas so it's like you can compare it from amazon to alibaba then there's like mealy and sc for the different areas that we're talking about so I give both the biggest pound I can possibly give since Tesla. So I, I, I mean, I'm not getting out of these anytime soon. Like that Free Fire had 1 million and NBA games have like less than 2 million. You can see that this is obviously not going away anytime soon. Yeah, this reminds me of that uh, for the South Park lovers, Towley. Who's like, I choose, I choose both. So we are choosing, <laughs> bo- we are choosing both here for SE and Mealy. Definitely pounding those. Another one we love to talk about. We touched on this in episode eight of Pounding the Table. Uh, it was your thesis pick went from $36 all the way to $64.74. You still pounding this one? Yeah, I mean, so I just want to call out here and saying that a lot of these companies are running in tandem because they have a lot of things in common, right? Like their revenue growth, they have their like profitability expectations and the industry that they're in, right? They're in ads or gaming, payment processing, e-commerce. So you want to play the trends, you want to play what's hot, but then you also have to factor in, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, like how things have run relative to where the market is and why they ran. So whether it's a time to be loading the boat here or, you know, trimming down and and doing like we we talked about with Etsy and Fiverr the other week, which was a great time to get back in and do that as well. So very interesting here. I I love it because, you know, it it isn't super valued high, like crazy. Uh, I mean, 58% year over year revenue growth, they did 443 million. So that's very, very good. And their global monthly active users increased by 36 seven percent so they have 442 million i mean i'm a fan of all that everything's good about that the only thing is that it's just ran so much so fast so it's one of those things where i love the company i think it's going to do well long term and shout out to naked calls of course because he's the one who lobbied for that to be a a thesis pick a few weeks in a row so he definitely uh, gets credit for this one as well yeah i mean a lot of these i'm not dying to get into here right like we're going to talk about Square in a second, which also did the same thing. It ran huge and, you know, Mealy and all these. So these are where I'm just kind of riding the train and seeing where it starts stalling out, but not buying it like crazy now because it's running so much. You ride the trolley over in San Francisco there. You mentioned Square. Let's definitely get into that. We got two more picks. So for all the listeners are like, ah, come on, get to the get to the election, please, please. Two more. So Spurs and Beeves on Twitter, shout out. We need more talk about Square, please. I do not hear enough from you guys. So more Square, more Square. So yeah, it's currently at 198. 
they've been buying a lot of Bitcoin. Do you think this is bullish now with Biden? And we're, we're doing a little transition here into the election, these next two. I think just in a perspective of where's the world going, like where's the economy going, you can see that a lot of different countries, I mean, China was just mentioning that they wanted to start doing more cryptocurrency and the US, like JP Morgan's talking about that coin and everything. So the digital currency wave is coming. I mean, we've been talking about Bitcoin for a few episodes now, and that's done really, really well. And, and I, I love that square, which obviously lets you do stuff through Bitcoin is starting to accumulate Bitcoin as well, I guess, as a dollar hedge. So it's interesting to me that, that they're doing that. But overall, they're still doing really well. And I know a lot of people have that like bear case of Oh, Bitcoin's a huge line on their revenue. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But the last two times it was on there, it still went from 134 to 160 on that last report. And then here it's doing the same thing. So the fact that they're innovating and making way for this new wave that is money, right? Because Square is just all about money. It's a money company. It's a payment company. So getting into the next wave of that allows it to have a high valuation, even though it doesn't have a high valuation. So it's still going to pound this one along for a while, honestly. So let's talk quickly on Nanox. This is one that has been an absolute roller coaster. So for those of you that have been around for the ride here, you know, a lot of news coming up in the next few weeks. So this is almost like their Super Bowl. We got earnings on Monday. So don't, I, I don't know. I don't think we pay too much attention to earnings with anything. Yeah, like they're going to have revenue. like, they're, yeah, they're going to have like no revenue. They're going to talk about where they are in the FDA approval stage. They're going to talk about where they are, you know, in terms of how many contracts they sign, how many contingent orders and this and that, how many software releases of their MS as a service. So we'll see that. Yeah. And, and I think obviously everything is really contingent about what happens in here at the end of November and heading into early December. The RSNA, you know, 2020, which is the largest radiology conference in the world, pre-COVID, they had 50,000 attendees. And so this year is obviously going to be a lot lighter. But needless to say, I think the market has responded here over the last month. It's been up 17%. So this is definitely a boom or bust, I think, here in the coming weeks. I don't know if it can go all the way to zero if they have a horrible performance here. But, you know, this one definitely is something that we're watching closely what do you think it can go to, though? Let's say they, they absolutely dominate and it looks great. Right. You know, they're in this performance. I know they got three other conferences coming up. So they are doing their little marketing rounds, per se. What, yeah. what, what can this go to if it does well, though? I don't think they would be doing these three demos if they weren't thinking that they were going to crush it, obviously. Like, you don't go to do a demo if you don't have batteries in your remote kind of thing. So I think everything's going to be fine on that regard. If not, I'd be really surprised. But what people don't realize here, this is like, this is the definition of risk reward. So yeah, maybe you can go back to 20 or maybe drift down to 10 if everything busts and it sucks. But it's much more likely, in my opinion, that they do crush it. And I, I remember doing the calculations based off of how much current contracts they have and how much licensing for their software, just with the amount of contracts that they have now. And I think that I still th- see 200 over the years, if that works, because the market that they'll open up for this right now, it's like around 30 billion TAM a year, like all over the world. So I think this will open it up way more because there's so many places that can't get access to these CT machines and they'll be allowing for that to happen, right? So $30 a scan versus 300. It's safer. It's faster. It lets you get more checkups and it lets more people get more checkups in more places. So if this does work out the way I think it's going to be, it will be one of the biggest returns that we have on pounding the table. And I mean, I'm still long it because first of all, we already sold half over 60. So worst case, you lose money on the second half, but I don't think that's going to happen. I'm still hedging though with some puts because, you know, best case, I won't, I won't care about the hedge that I spend three or $4 on worst case, you know, I'll be hedged. So. All right. Last one. Then we get into politics, baby. 
Fiverr. So me and you had this argument a while back. I definitely lost the battle somewhat, right? So I was <laughs> saying Upwork's amazing and you were saying Fiverr's amazing. And like we said last episode, we never lose. We just haven't been right yet, right? And sure enough, this one went from 20 to 29 on earnings. And that we're talking there about Upwork. You know, Avi Locks pretty much has been undefeated with his picks. Same thing with Jumia. You know, it's pretty funny. Jumia, we did sell at the high at the peak. But then it did come crashing down. But sure enough, the same guys who beat up Jumia, who beat up Nanox, had come out now and they're pounding the table on Jumia, right? Let's get back to Fiverr. This thing's sitting at 91. You are an absolute beast. What happened with the earnings with Fiverr? Fiverr's expanding into all these ways that I want to see it expand. It's adding all these new legs. It's crushing at Fiverr business, these Fiverr rooms for services. Like they're just allowing you to easily get to the people you want to get to. You know, it's cool for an entire company to be able to just say, hey, like we can f- get some freelance work. And we already know the numbers on freelance. It's, it's becoming huge. It's nonstop growing. And, and a lot of people are using it, especially during the pandemic. So I think Fiverr is going to be one of those things that benefits because of COVID and continues to benefit because the gig economy is going to be huge over time. So I do love their revenue here, 52 million plus 88%. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but the company only is $6 billion market cap. So, I mean, next year they're planning to do, what is it, like 400 million in revenue. So, I mean, it would give it about a 12, 15 times the multiple for a company growing this much with pretty decent margins as well. I'm a fan of everything. So they added another 310,000 people to their platform. And think about it, like each person they add, we showed this last time, they add more people and each person spends more on average, right? So over time, that's a very similar growth story to Amazon for those products, but this is for those services. And they also have the products too now. So big fan of Fiverr. I think it's going to be one of the best returners over time. You just want to see it get to that big exponential growth area. And I think that that'll happen with the Fiverr business and with the new things they roll out. All righty, Tony, it is the moment that everyone has been waiting for. It is time to get into the elections and the effect it has on the stock market. So let's play the YMCA one last time here. We're going to, we're going to miss Trump's little dancing politics aside. That was one of the funniest things in the world, seeing him dance. So YMCA real quick. All righty. Let's just assume that Biden does win it. What does that mean for the markets? How big of an issue is it going to be with the taxes, right? So the Senate, of course, being a key here, as you mentioned, you know, how does the Fed react to this? Does this change anything that the Fed's doing? And you know, what happens if there is a contested election? Right. So, I mean, this has been just a crazy week. Like, I know how many people have been refreshing their like election results pages on, on the internet. And I was literally on a plane to California when Biden won it. And I like, walked off the plane. I was talking to my brother, like, when is uh when is the election going to be called or whatever? He's like, they just called it. And he he's at Berkeley, obviously, and everyone's out here honking their horns and going crazy. So, I mean, in terms of the market, though, the biggest thing is that a blue wave would actually be definitely damaging to the markets, at least in the short term and and possibly the long term, too, because of the tax issue. So if you've got a Senate here that has the majority in Republican and and then you have a Democratic president and a Democratic House, then increasing taxes like Biden and Kamala Harris is uh, their their platform is all about like raising taxes on corporations and like the wealthy and stuff. That's not going to be good for the economy, no matter what you think. I I just don't think that's going to be something that's positive right now, especially during this time, right? Because all these big companies, they want to be hiring people. They're already laying people off. They're already having to get stimulus and stuff. So that's definitely something to be considerate about. But if we do get a red Senate, then you're not going to have that blue wave sweep. So it's not going to be really possible for those taxes to increase like everyone wants because you, you need the Senate there. 
right? But if we get 50-50 Democrat-Republican Senate, then, you know, Kamala is the one that decides between that. And, and you know which way she's going to go based on her party and that she's the vice president of the United States. Also, shout out to, like, women being in, uh, you know, presidency at all. That's amazing. I mean, like, that's a huge accomplishment for the country. So, you know, shout out to the U.S. for being so progressive in, in that regard, at least. I do think that the Fed will be continuing to be independent. I mean, it wasn't really independent. I mean, Trump forced the Fed's hand with their with the China relations, and, and then the Fed has had to be so so active during the pandemic. As you know, just as a as a unit by itself, it had to be so so active. It's stimulus and interest rates being low, and I don't think that's going to change until you see the economy recover huge, no matter who the president is. So as long as the Fed is really at the helm, continuing this zero interest rate, but low rates and high, high, high stimulus. And if we can get a stimulus deal through Congress with, you know, a Democratic president, and hopefully, you know, Congress, even though they're in gridlock, now that the presidency's over, it's going to be less political for stimulus to happen. So hopefully that's going to get passed and that'll give juice to the market. But I mean, I am bullish on the markets as long as we get a red Senate. And I think either way, that's two months left you have until those runoffs in Georgia happen. But it is important to know that that will be hard to get both Georgia as a Republican because it was very close races anyway. And in Georgia, you have to get the majority and neither Republican got the majority overall. That's why they had the runoff because there was independent party and multiple Democrats, and multiple Republicans on one ticket. So we'll have to see how that you know goes out, but it won't happen until January. So I think we got the smooth sailing until then, even though the election will get contested. I'm like 99% sure this is over. So I mean, I, I guess honk the horn. <laughs> I was out in uh, New York yesterday. We went out for lunch and then we saw everyone drinking wine on the street and I had to get involved, you know, and everyone's obviously asking about this, right? One of my buddies, Kevin O'Donnell, put this question out there. It's like, how does that market actually react to the Biden being elected? Let's assume that Biden does win. Cannabis, obviously a, a hot item here. Anything else that we should be kind of looking into with the Biden victory? Right. Like, and I know that we're being like, let's assume the Biden won, but like 99% he did already. And it's, it's pretty much over with, right? Like we can even drag it out in the courts and everything. But I mean, the only other time you've seen this happen was when Al Gore was the president elect for a month and then that flipped over. So it would be very, very low chance for that to happen, but it, it is possible. So we want to keep reiterating that because you, you never know until the courts decided, of course, especially nowadays. Um, but I mean, we've, we've been talking about cannabis stocks for a while. TRSSF, TerraSend, uh, TCNNF. So those are like two of the big stock plays that we talk about for weed plays. And those have both done really well. I think TCNNF, we talked at 18 is now 25 and TRSSF was five. And now it's like almost 750. So shout out to at Wall Street Unicorn Van Man. Those are like great plays that he put me on. And I was looking at the CGCs, the Aurora Cannabises and all those of the world, but these are obviously way better plays. And in general, mostly there's going to be a lot of different industries that will benefit from this. So you'll like, I've already mentioned that non-US stocks will benefit from this because in, in general, I think Biden's going to have a much more chill approach to foreign policy and you know a political tactics against other countries. So you're going to see these multiples on Chinese companies, on Southeast Asian companies, Latin American companies just go up as a result of the lack of, I guess, fear in political turmoil between the U.S. and other countries since Biden's president rather than Trump. And that was just a, a just a facet of each of their presidents sees like that's a very different thing about the two people. So that's something you can expect to see in the future continue to benefit. And I'll be pounding like other industries as well. But for me right now, like it is the cannabis, it's the solar, it's the renewable energy. It's like all those. And obviously, like this is going to be a big, big shift away from fossil fuels and oil. So if you're playing energy, like if you're very bullish on energy in that regard, I think that you're really making a mistake personally. I just don't see how, right? Like statistically, you're not going to use oil in 30 years. It's just not going to happen. So 
get get on the train or get left by it, in my opinion. So whether you believe in climate change or not, um, whether you believe that we should be using fossil fuels or renewable energy, the market doesn't care what you think. The market's going to do what it's going to do. And that's going to be advanced and become more and more progressed over time, technological advancements, right? So we're going to be going to solar, we're going to be going to wind and, and whatever and whatever else ends up happening. So those are going to be the industries you want to invest in, right? So New Jersey just became legal for weed as well. And you, and you see like decriminalization of drugs in Oregon and such. So I think that you're going to see a lot of tax revenue come into these states because of things like that and online gaming as well. Like online gambling is going to become bigger and bigger through Democrats. So those are all sectors to definitely keep an eye out for. That's just a lot of those things are not very for the Republican Party. So now that we have a Democrat in presidency and we'll see what happens with the Senate and the House. I mean, we we kind of already know what's going to happen with the House. That's going to be a big thing to watch out for in the future. Yeah. And even looking at that, right, with China specifically, obviously, Trump took this very hard approach towards China. We saw like a microcosm of this with Baba, right? Like on November 3rd, Baba completely crashed from 310 down to 286. And then November 5th, we saw this climb back up. I'm looking right now. It was 281. Now it's 299. So moving up to 300 here. Is China specific stocks? Are you looking at anything within that world? Or are you saying just overall anything international is going to be good? I think China specifically, because it's been hit the hardest by Trump's administration, has the most to gain. But you've already seen that happen, right? Like a lot of the great Chinese stocks have already rallied a lot. I mean, Alibaba is very different. Like I know you were just mentioning it, but that's also because their ant IPO had a lot of like issues. I think Jack Ma was very, very suspect and, and almost fraudulent in the way that he was talking about that IPO. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, it's going to be a huge IPO, but it was not a cool move to do what he did with it. But I think in general, like you've seen Chinese stocks rally a lot, right? Like some of my good names that I like to talk about, like PDD, Futu, those have been doing really well. Uh, SC, which isn't China specifically, but the Southeast Asia and also operates a lot in China has done really, really well as a result of Biden winning. And you'll continue to see that, right? You'll see that solar, you'll see those Chinese companies and even more so just all companies that are non-US will do really well over time. But once again, this is a huge thing to do with the Senate. I mean, you know that solar will do well, even if the Senate's all blue and then it's a blue wave because, right, that's like a democratic platform is to be very, very renewable energy based. So, and weed based, right? Like the entire country will be federally legal in weed. Like, I don't care what you think, 100% mm. that will happen. So, over time, that will happen. And you've seen that happen just more and more in the stances of like everyone in the country, like what their views are over the years. And that'll become more and more okay. So, you'll get more tax revenue from these weed companies. You'll, you'll, continue to get these tax credits, if not more for these solar initiatives and wind initiatives. So definitely those two industries. And you would be remiss to not look at China stocks over time, even though they've already come a long way up from where they were during Trump's presidency, which is still happening now, but people price it in the future. Yeah, I think we've talked about this quite a bit. But yeah, there's it's a no brainer for me, at least that weed stocks and, and gambling stocks will just improve over time. The states need some sort of tax revenue. And, and after Corona, those are two of the obvious sectors that I absolutely love. Right. Uh, a lot of people were asking questions about like with this different market cycle, with everything happening within politics, et cetera, how are you going to know like what the best stocks are overall? And, and in terms of allocation of your own portfolio, what are you going to be doing over the next couple months and, and onward here? So I, I wrote these threads on Twitter and I just wanted to share them on the podcast because I, I deeply believe in them, right? So I, I learned this really during March and, and I've always kind of known this in the back of my head, but you can really see it. Like I was saying that March kind of was like the, the beach, 
the tide receding and you can see everything that's laying on the beach. So you know what things are holding up the best. And I wrote this exactly. I'll just read it for you guys from Twitter. So SE, Mealy, SQ5 are some of the best stocks in my in the market the way I see it. That's why they're in my top five and have been for months and months at this point. The market cycles will show you which stocks are the best to investors. They sell off the least and they get bought back first. That's how you know. So you really have seen that during this entire, we've had a couple 10% market crashes over the last few months. So SE, Mealy, SQ5, they've all held up really, really well, especially considering they've been running like crazy way over their highs. That just kind of tells you what people want to be in, what they want to be invested in. And and you can't really fight against the market because the market's telling you, we like these stocks. These are the best ones for us to hold. These are what we're going to sell the least of if you have a margin requirement change or you have a presidential election risk off mode. Um, that's kind of what's happening. And, and I do want to point this out too. Like, I don't know, I forgot to talk about this when we were talking about the elections, but the reason why we ran so much is because everyone was so prepared for a dive. I have never seen so many people prepared to have the market crash 10, 20% more after it already crashed 10% into the election night. Everyone was risk off. People had hedges. People had trimmed their portfolio a lot. Goldman Sachs had the highest level of shorts they had in like X number of years. Like I think it was like a decade or something. Bunch of other investment banks and funds did. And that's just like, you know, what you saw. And, And when everyone's getting ready for something, you're not usually right. Like, Everyone was very, very bearish and the market showed people what happens when that happens. Like they got squeezed, they got gamma squeezed on the other side. And that's why we ran 300 SPX in like a week right after the election. It wasn't about who won. It was just about it being over because everyone was anticipating something bad to happen. But regardless, during that time, these stocks held up the most. I mean, look at them today too. The market rallied back and they're way all over their highs by 10, 20%. So that's how you know that those are the best stocks. Yeah, and I know everyone's always wanting to buy their dips and sell their rips, but I can't tell you how similar every market cycle is to how people act. Like everyone was so bearish at the 10% like drop on SP the last two times in September and October. And now look, like it all came back so much higher and people are like, oh, I wish I got Mealy. And I wrote this on Twitter that everyone wants to buy stocks on a pullback. So if you actually have the guts to, you see something like Mealy, which clearly goes to 5,000 a share in a few years, in my opinion, drop to 960 from 1270, but people want it at 800. Like that's what they're comfortable buying it at. But then it goes to 1500 on insane earnings that completely changed the company's valuation, everything about it. So it's going to be hard for you to ever get it at 800. And you could have just started dollar cost averaging or or adding up like under a thousand, but now you don't have any shares. So, and I know a lot of people are like this and they're like, man, I missed the dip, but it's because you're worried about trying to get the perfect bottom. You don't have to get the perfect bottom. It's hard to, and it's possible, but you know, if you love a stock and it goes on sale, why not start adding to it kind of thing? That's what I always do. So you know, at 800, Mealy would trade at like seven times next year's sales, but it's growing at like 100% year over year. So is that really smart for it to think it's going to go way, way lower when the market's already down 10% and it held up right at its all-time highs? I mean, like that just doesn't make sense to me. You also had the gift of buying Etsy at 119 the other day after insanely incredible earnings. And it made every analyst look like a moron because there are all these mass fanatics, but it still killed it. And there's only two reasons that these kind of things happen. And the reason I talk about it and the reason I'm like so hard on people about it is because this is like the biggest issues that I've had to come over as a trader and as an investor that I think it would help people if they really understood this on a deep level. It's because you don't do a good job managing your account when you're screaming and happy and you're like, oh, I'm at all time highs. The market looks great. La la la. Everything's flying, like going parabolic. That's when you make decisions and start thinking about, okay, well, what happens when it starts going down? Because nothing goes straight up. And that's a fact. And the other reason is you don't actually have the conviction in these names, or you don't even really know their actual real valuations that they deserve and what they should be worth in market cap. So when you work on this and like make a spreadsheet that shows you what you think X and X stock is supposed to be worth based on revenues and everything and all that over time, like it'll make it a lot easier for you to know 
what's a good buy and also looking at how strong it is during these market corrections. Essie and Mealy have both held up so well on both dips in the last two months. So it's not just a one-time occurrence. It's showing you what people want to buy. And you realize that when things are going parabolic, that's when you adjust and you get more prepared when the share is correct. So we talked about this on the last episode where we're like, oh, Fiverr's at 180 and why are uh, two episodes ago? So Fiverr's at 180 plus and it went from 90. So I sold out and then got back in at 150. Now it's at 190. And I, I did the same thing with Etsy as well, which went down to 119 where I loaded a bunch in the 120s and now it's back to 146. And that just happens all the time. So you can be an investor and stuff, but you, you, you should honestly be a trader too, at least in some regard, if you don't really care about taxes and stuff. But if you do get enough job trading it, the taxes won't matter. You'll make more money over it than you'd pay extra in taxes. Plus, if they do have a blue wave, you, you don't mind selling your capital gains this year than having to pay it next year. So just something I want to pound the table on, just that entire logic of really wanting to know what you want to own at what price and not be scared to add when it's uncomfortable. This is real. Like I'm fully invested right now. What happens now if the market goes down? Like what strategy should I use if the market does end up crashing here? All right. So this is something I've been trying to talk about to a lot of people for some time now. And it's so counterintuitive to your mindset, but it is like the right thing to do in my opinion. I do it every time and it works. And and like, I don't think I'll ever stop doing it because it makes the most sense. So let's say that you have a portfolio of different types of risk. So let's say you have, I don't know, a third in stuff like Amazon and Apple, which a buddy of mine loves Apple. And that's why I wanted to throw this question in here so we can hear this and believe me that I'm right. So let's say you love Apple, right? And you have, you know, a third of your portfolio in Apple. And let's say you love SE or Fiverr or Mealy, and you have a third of it in those three. And then let's say a third, whatever is those random higher risk stocks. So what I do when the market, let's say the market crashed 10% right now and Avi, your account goes down, whatever percent it does. The stocks that are stronger, like Amazon and Apple will hold up better because they're bigger market caps because they're like less likely to crash during those times. So I take money from those stocks and put it into the Mealy, the SE, the Fiverr and the other riskier kind of investments. Because when the market's down, you want to be in what will rebound the most, right? Even though you're like, okay, let's say I buy Apple today at 118. And it goes down to 110, but in the same time, Mealy goes to 1200 and SE goes to 150, whatever, whatever happens, but you get, you get the point of what I'm trying to say here. When those stocks recover, Apple's not going to be the one that makes the best return. It's going to be the SE, the Mealy, the Fiverr. And you've seen that over time for the last three crashes. So that's why when you do that and at the lows, you will make a higher return on the way up. And I do that every time, but I mean, I do it with a little bit of leverage if I want to, because I usually have mostly those similar stocks. I don't have many, any Apple or Amazon, but, and I also buy leaps on those names too. But in general, if you're just talking like just straight stocks, cause I know a lot of people just have stock portfolios, that is how you do it. And then when you get back to the highs and you want to risk off, you don't have to really sell your holdings. You can just buy different companies that have less risk on the downside. So you sell your Apple at the lows and then you rebuy your Apple, even though your Apple is higher when you rebuy it, those stocks that you put money into have made you way more percent on the way up than Apple would have if you just held your Apple through and through. And then now you can trim off some of the ones that have ran 20, 30% over their highs, like the Mealy, the SEs, the Fivers. And then you're, you're back to the even risk, but you've made more money on the way up. So on the next way down, you're going to be even better than if you did nothing at all. We got a question here from Zach Leonard asking anything relating to how long on average you hold a specific position and what is actually worth holding longer? Yeah. So this is something I've been really struggling with over time. And I think I've finally gotten it down to what I want to do. So I know like other funds, different like ETFs like ARK, they sell their portfolios position when it gets over a certain percent of their holdings. So 
That's something that's interesting to me, but that doesn't make logical sense, right? That's a very subjective thing to do. That's not an objective market related thing to do. So let's say you have 5% of SC at 42 and it goes to 200. Now you have 25% of SC. It's also not going to be 25% of your current portfolio. Maybe like that'll take that percent five times up. So it'll be maybe 10% or 12%, whatever it is now. Instead of selling it because it's X percent of your portfolio, I like to sell companies now when they're a certain kind of market cap. And I'm actually looking into, and like one of my buddies at Lecter Ventures is going to be looking into at what point in market cap do stocks become that logarithmic indefinite slope where it's less and less like exponentially accelerating and more linearly accelerating or, or like exponentially decelerating still like that kind of thing. Like you want to see what point the market cap kind of starts impacting your share price in return. Um, and, and I'm sure for some stocks, it's different, right? Like you saw Tesla go from 40 billion to 400 billion and, you know, not that long at all. So there is obviously exceptions for each company, but I'm sure on average, you could find a, a decent point. My guess is like around 150 to 200 billion is when I'll start being like, okay, I love SE. SE is like 14% of my holdings now. Like maybe I'll make it 5%, even though it's, you know, gone three, four, five, ten, whatever from when I bought it. But I know I can find other things that are the new SCs that'll get me a higher percent return, even though SC is a phenomenal company and nothing's changed. In fact, it probably became a better company through that time. It's all about your portfolio's CAGR. That's compound annual growth, right? Like you, you just want your portfolio to grow as much as you can. So if you even if you get in love with stocks, like I know Avi, you're in love with Mealy, so am I. We can't we can't share them. No, it's mine. But you gotta make sure that you Take it into consideration. You want the highest return in your portfolio, not just, oh, I bought SC at 42. Like I want to hold it forever because I have a low cost basis. That's a huge trading fallacy, investing fallacy. So we got double trouble, man. We got another Leonard bro, Danny Leonard this time, coming in hot with a question is saying, would love to know your thoughts on when it's quote unquote, just a dip versus when it's actually a correction or a crash, right? And how do you time those entries accordingly? So I've actually been looking back on all the dips that have happened this year. Obviously, March is like a very left field event. So you can't really count that as like moving forward from where we, because we, we've gone over the fear and the panic. The economy is already coming back. We have 50% of the jobs we lost came back, you know, this and that. So you're not going to get a March crash, in my opinion, again. Like if that happens, especially with rates at zero and, you know, stimulus and congressional stimulus possible now, like with the Fed monetary expansion, there, there's so much that's keeping the markets up. I'm not, you're not going to get 2200 again, in my opinion. That's just what I think. I mean, maybe it happens, but I doubt it. And what I have seen is in June and in September and more recently, just now in, in October, like you've had very similar drops. You've had like a nine to 12% SP 500 drop every time. And that generally is the bottom, right? So 10% is what people call a quote unquote correction. It's all just like financial BS lingo, but it does play into people's psychology. So it, it doesn't, it's not like coincidental in my opinion that the market starts going back up when it's like just a normal correction at negative nine to 12%. That's right around when people are like, oh, we're in a recession. And usually then the headlines that are negative flow in and all that comes and like, you've got that thing where I was just talking about like everyone was getting short and trimmed and hedged. And that's when we spike back up. So if you get a 10% correction on the S&P 500, I'm buying that almost every single time, unless there's a reason for it to do that. Like a, a real reason, like not just like, oh, stimulus talks are delayed or well, this and that COVID cases are coming up. Like I want to see something like the interest rates went back up. Like I'll be short everything. Or, you know, if we have a blue wave and the market goes under 10% down and taxes go up, those are all possibilities. So whether it's just like a, a standard correction, which is not really based on like permanent strong news is like eight to 12%. But otherwise, if it's bad news, it's a crash or a correction. And that's very different. So I always like to buy, you know, eight to 12% down the S&P 500. So we got two questions. First one coming from Anthony Tellerico at I am Tellerico. Also one from Dominic Rinaldi. 
So both the questions are, again, in the similar light. So Anthony's asking, would love to hear your thoughts on portfolio sizing management as it relates to the number of holdings. So he's got 28 companies. He's unsure of how to add slash sell. First, continue new positions getting in 30s and beyond in terms of companies. And then Dominic's asking something similar, right? Could you guys talk about how much you allocate to a position before letting it do the rest of the work moving forward? So I've heard some investors saying three or 5% of their total investments. I don't know if you have a certain Tony's rule here who can jump ahead in terms of- percentage allocation or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have a specific rule rule on that kind of thing. So I just like, I know I have a very big position in Mealy, FC, Fiverr, Square, and um, Teladoc. So those are like my top five. And that's probably half my portfolio, just because I think those are the best stocks in the market, right? And there's other ones that are like really close. Like those to me are 95 out of a hundred plus, And the other ones are like 90 or 89 or 92, whatever. So they're all really close. But what I have learned over time is I used to have a lot of positions and it was really easy and good when the market was zooming every day and this and that. And as the market, you know, goes over time, I like to hopefully think I grow as an investor over time. And I've learned that it's, it's more important to just pick five to 10 of the best stocks that you really believe in. And if you're right and you really believe long-term, then like you're going to see those results within three months of, you know, versus all the other companies that you see, and you're not going to catch every stock. And that's one of the hardest things for me too, is like, you get that FOMO of like, you know, I don't have that much TTD. I have like 3% of my portfolio in TTD. And I was like, I had like 15% of it in September. So that happens. Like you, you're like, crap, I, it's a runaway train and I missed it. But then you're like, okay, I had Mealy from 550, you know, and, and that, kind of thing is just it, it, it will hurt your stomach but if you think about it long term like if you pick those best stocks and you're not going to be upset because that's what you thought at that time and of course you can change your opinion over time like you see stocks doing really really well and then maybe you have those stocks like you know lily chow also asked this question of like all these stocks have already ran so much like similar to alan's here what do you do now you know how do you move money out of those positions that have already done so well well we've talked about this before right so you've got like five or one parabolic so i trimmed out and i added other stocks that haven't gone as parabolic which held up better during the market correction and then you could put money back into fiverr so i am looking at a couple companies that i like to talk about all the time like om outset medical nanox nnox feet so that's skills mobile gaming platform and teledoc so those are all like not exploding yet but i think those all have huge great runways i know i'm right on those long term like those five i really deeply believe in them like i believed in tesla so i would feel remiss if i sold those and like never had a strong position in them even if the market corrects and i know that those will hold up the best so it's all about just allocating what you want it's the the pokemon conundrum you want to catch them all you want to pick every single stock right alan our boy absolutely one of the best chefs in the entire world alan if you're listening to this please make an instagram with all your cooking because you're an absolute star. He's the, he's the real soul. <laughs> so Alan's asking, you know, I'd love to hear about the stocks that you've been pounding that are already two to three X. So he's mentioning Mealy right at 550, Jumia at seven. Obviously, things have shaked a little bit here with Jumia, but if those are already three X, you know, let's say in a few months, can those go three X again in a year? Or do you think there's like better plays in terms of what your number one rule is of opportunity cost of capital? Right. And that and that's kind of what I was just alluding to a second ago. It's like, it's tough to do that because I love Mealy. Like, I think it's a fantastic company, but I'm like, oh, it's 75 billion market cap. Can it squeeze to 3000 pretty easy by the end of next year? I think so. I think it's possible. Jumia is more like a, I don't know what's going to happen with it. it. Like it is really similar to how Mealy started out and it's doing that very similarly. Like Mealy wasn't really zooming at all for a year or two after it began. And, and Jumia is doing the same thing. So 
you never know, like Mealy dominated an area and, and took over and revolutionized an area that was lacking in infrastructure and e-commerce and retail in general and payment processing. So Jumia is doing a lot of things. And like, I have heard some rumors floating about Chinese investment in Jumia. So we'll have to see, but I think the risk is to the upside on Jumia. I don't love their earnings right now, but also I didn't love Mealy's earnings when they started out. Like if you look back, so you have to put it in context. They're very different stages of the companies in very different areas. But if you like kind of take the Jumia chart, like six, seven years back, it, it kind of looks a little bit like Mealy. So it's very different there, but kind of similar if you put it in the time context. Um, in terms of like, can I go 3X again? Yeah, like they can, but the higher the market cap, the harder it is for that to happen. So you might be better off getting a 3X in Feek versus getting a 3X in Mealy from here. And I, I think that over time, like that'll continue to be true for stocks with higher market caps. Like it's way easier for Jumia to go from 18 to 54 than for Mealy to go from 1500 to 4,500, way easier. So very market cap related. And that's what I talk about the opportunity cost of capital. And that's why my selling rule is based on that, like 150 billion to 200 billion market cap. I'll do the data and, you know, hopefully Electra Ventures does it too. But I think that's about the point where those returns stop being logarithmically exponential. We got Dougie Fresh coming with a tax related question a few months early, tax Tax season is going to jump up on us very quickly, and I can't wait for my accountant to look at 500,000 trades that I've done this year. Uh, so Doug's asking, if you buy a position and let's say it rips 100% in two months, do you then trim and diversify or are you going to hold that to like reach a year? Doug's saying he's so trained on waiting a year to hold to minimize that tax burden. Doug trades in an IRA, so I don't know what he's conflicted about, but I, it's a it's a fantastic question. The difference here for me is why did it run 100%, right? Like did SC go 5X because it completely like got a huge bump from COVID and is accelerating on its own now without the need of this pandemic pressure on the economy for it to grow? Yeah, like very different. Like would I be comfortable holding SC in a year? Yeah, do I think that that's going to be worth it? Probably because if you're going to pay twice the capital gains that you would long term, then that's like, you know, something you want to do, especially if you're not an active trader, because I think over time as an active trader, you're going to make more money on the scalp, right? Because people are like, well, I sold it, I bought it at 40. But the first time you sell it, then it's all just short term. So if you make that, you know, sell it at 180, buy it at 150, sell it at 180, buy it at 150, which happened three times, like, the taxes are not going to matter if you hit the top and the bottom most of the time. And like, that's what I try to do on my levels. And I think that I've outperformed what I would do just holding it with just the tax, you know, with thinking about the taxes. But if you're a longer term investor and you don't care, like the reason it goes up 100% is so important. Yeah, I'm, I'm always of the notion that the tax man's your friend, right? Yeah, you are paying taxes, but it's a good thing if you're paying taxes. That means you're making money and you're still making a much higher percentage uh, than what you are paying in the taxes on any gain. So I always, my personal opinion is just like make as much money as you can worry about the taxes later. It will yeah. only be in your benefit. You're always going to make more than you're being taxed on. So yeah. And it's just a huge difference on like, if you're a kind of guy that sits in front of the computer all day trading, or if you're like, you know, you just, you have another job, but you invest long-term and all you do is just like, you know, put money from your job in when the market dips, like there's very different kinds of investing for different people. So I think one's right for one person, the other's right for the other person. It just depends on how active of an investor you are. If you're in front of the computer every day, then you should be trading as you're investing because then you're not really investing. You're sitting there watching. Like you're actively managing, even if you're not touching the button. We missed your Tony's rules. I was completely lost. I've just been sitting here the past few weeks and just have no idea what to do for my trades. But thank God you're here with Tony's injection rule. Drum roll, please, is write down everything you do wrong. That goes back to my saying is you either win or you learn in life. So Tony, expound on this a little bit here. Yeah, I'm happy to. I know you've learned a lot in life, but (laughs) it's uh, a few things here and there. (laughs) A few things. 
I mean, you, you want to write down what you do wrong. I think a lot of people, you know, and, and I like suffer from ego from time to time. If people don't know that they should. Hockey, and I get better, <laughs> yeah. I get better with it over time. I mean, I'm a younger guy who's like done well in the markets. Like, what do you expect? But I do know that the ego will eat you alive. If you don't realize that you do. I mean, I, I suck at trading. I'm awful, but I'm also good at it. I think so. It's like, it's, you have to have that humility in trading and know that you can make a lot of mistakes. And they're often the same mistakes. They're often those same five, 10 mistakes that if you really isolate, look at yourself in the mirror and say, why the hell do I do this crap? You're going to do better overall. So you have to just like kind of dig into yourself and say, man, like I suck at this. I suck at that. I'm great at that. Let's double down on that. Do less of that. And over time you just get better and better. So I always say there's like a lot of ways to skin a cat. And this is why I do all the random things that I do and talk about X and X. And I, I trade around my core because I know that just holding my core is great, but I could do better trading it around. Should I concentrate my holdings now? Because I've realized that having too many positions takes my portfolio's return down than just the big beast. Yeah, that's something I've learned. So I do that now. Do I stay invested in cash when the market's like super, super up so I can get in at these opportunities on the way down and leverage at the lows? Yeah, like I, I don't have leverage when I'm high. Like the market's up so much right now. I don't have that much leverage. I have like opportunities for cash to buy in. Like I, I, I lever when I'm at the lows, but that's because I learned what happened in March and in June and in September and October. And, you know, I learned that even though you love a company, you can sell the stock to get into other stocks that are better opportunity cost of capital. Even though you're like, oh, this is Apple. I've had it since it was like 10. It's my baby. But like, are you going to make more money when the market goes up because of that or not? And I, I mean, you, you need to move stuff around at some level. You know, we were talking about like net over Fastly and like you've seen the return on that. Like Fastly went from 84 down to 60. 62 and net went from 52 up to 71 on Friday. So there's reasons to do that. And if you're worried about the taxes and stuff, like you're not really worried about trading if you're sitting in front of your computer. We're rounding the bases, baby. It is time to quickly chat on crypto. You pounded the table at 10,000. So you know stocks and you know crypto. What do you not know is the question on everyone's mind. We'll save that for another time, though. Let's talk about Eric Perez's question. What are your thoughts overall on Bitcoin? So Bitcoin, I mean, like I was, we were telling people that gold is not the best investment for a hedge against like inflation in the markets. Like this is 2020. This is not 1990. So like you're buying gold is not making as much sense as you're buying like crypto and Bitcoin because Bitcoin is digital gold, essentially. I don't think you can pay for like a boba tea with a gold nugget, but you can definitely pay for it with Bitcoin in some places. Uh, which I'm definitely a huge Boba Tea fan because I'm in California right now. So anyway, say, you are super lib right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically, so someone mentioned earlier, which is really cool. I want to talk about this before we get into like what why Bitcoin's going to continue to do well. Is that Bitcoin is an early indicator sometimes of the general markets. And, and so far, we have seen that recently. We saw that in February. We saw that just recently, like crypto markets started rebounding and flattening out before the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ did. So Bitcoin is probably because it's a little bit more liquid than, I guess, just the S&P 500 or like the NASDAQ. It's a lot easier for people to buy Bitcoin with like its market cap being like under 200 billion, I believe right now or so. So that's definitely why it could be a leading indicator. And that's why I also use like Mealy as an indicator for the growth stocks, because it's a liquid and easier to move. And like the same reason I use booking for those like travel value stocks, because like it's a lot easier to move booking because it's just, they're just very illiquid shares. And most of like the institutional ownership is like 90% in, in booking. So I mean, that's why I think Bitcoin is just like now a leading indicator. And it'll continue to be more and more just because, like, you know, the markets will continue to get assets from all over the world, but Bitcoin is only ever going to be X number of coins. So. So, like that's going to be something to look at in the future going forward. 
Bitcoin and crypto are getting much more hype recently too. So it's hard for it to get out of the market's eyes now. And obviously demand's a big part of anything that's like slightly liquid. So people could easily move the price of Bitcoin. Like I saw it go from 13,000 to 15,000 in one night just because people were buying it. So people love the low rates and the money expansion and stimulus possible more from, from Congress because of the Biden presidency. So we'll, we'll see now. But I think that Bitcoin and Ethereum will continue to be two of the dominating factors. And I, I love, you know, we did a lot of take on Chainlink and I like that going forward. I just don't know why that's not running as much as the altcoins are. But I do remember that it took some time for the altcoins to catch up with the big boys like the Ethereum and the blockchain in 2017. So got to look for that too. Yeah. So is it Lambo time? Like are all these 19 year olds going to start pushing Lambos again? And uh, do we buy Lambo stock just based off that? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely going to be that influence like TikTok vibe of investing now more and more for crypto. I mean, people love it. It's just like, you know, it's like, it's it's like sports betting or IPO betting and stuff because you can make any of these little coins can just like, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 X, whatever. And I've seen it happen many times, even to fake companies. So yeah, it's long Lambo stock. Yeah. Keep an eye on AviCoin too. I think AviCoin could actually just absolutely blow up. <laughs> uh avi is that a real is that a real coin is that a real- <laughs> not yet not yet just like how we're never wrong we're, we're the coin is not ready just quite yet that's what's going on there thank you guys all for those amazing questions we also ask each week that we can do a thesis pick and so we take picks from the audience you guys share what you love and then we kind of do our little dd aka due diligence dig yeah. into those and then pick our favorite ones right so Sometimes we have two picks. Sometimes we have one pick. This week, we got two picks. So Avi's thesis pick this week is brought to you by Arkna Trade. So she mentioned Intelia Therapeutics, which is ticker symbol NTLA. They won a Nobel Prize in chemistry. They are based on the CRISPR gene editing system. So they were founded by Jennifer, I'm going to mispronounce this, Jennifer Dunda, and I'll really mispronounce their co-founder, <laughs> Virginjus Singsies. That's definitely not how you say it. So shout out to Arkna Trades. She gave us this one here. Uh, and we were actually pounding this one since episode five. I think we gave it at 19. Now it is at 28. So as a refresher in teletherapeutics, this is biotechnology company, right? So they're developing biopharmaceutical. Important here that they're using that CRISPR gene editing system, right? So I don't know if we want to call you know, CRISPR a marketplace for all these other companies, but it, it definitely you know, is. It, it definitely it, is. Like that's going to be what they're going to be using. They're going to use that CRISPR slicing tool more and more. This company specifically just gained partnerships with Novartis and Regeneron. So shout out President Trump, probably one of the biggest holders of Regeneron, <laughs> repeating over and over again. <laughs> Regeneron, Regeneron, Regeneron. <laughs> you know, so those are obviously major partnerships. Let's just talk about their earnings, right? So their recent sales were $22.2 million, uh, which beat the estimates of $15.58. Uh, and then some really exciting news. You know, in October, they received their approval from the United Kingdom's Medicine and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. We need to do a little bit more research, but I do love this. I just love anything within that space. Lucky for you, Avi, I do my research on pretty much everything I talk about. But uh, yeah, no, Intelli here, like I'm a fan of it because like that, that is a huge thing, that Nobel Prize in chemistry, obviously. And, and the, the FDA versus like here and in UK, like it's obviously getting more traction. And we talked about this, like this entire sector as a whole is going to be huge, right? We had this like shift, for, like the tech wave is one of the biggest waves of everything ever. You know, we had the industrial wave, you got oil and everything, but now you've got these you had these tech companies, the Apple, the Amazon, the, the communications and like connecting people and all that happened so fast. Right now, you've got this cloud computing to analyze all this data that's being created and stored and all this and protect it. 
And, you know, you're going to be moving into using that tech in other areas. So we've talked about this as going to this biotech space is going to be so big over the next few years because people will be wanting to focus more and more on like, you know, living longer with healthier bodies and fixing all of these things. Because healthcare is a huge cost and it's a huge industry in general. And like all that is just nonstop going to be a thing, uh, you know, until we get surrogate bodies and we're all AIs. But until then, like, and on the way to there, we need to be focusing on companies like this. So I'll definitely give Intel a double pound here for you. And if you think right now, like it's market caps, 1.4 billion, it's going to be doing, I guess, like, you know, in the next 12 months, I'd say a hundred million plus in revenue. So not a crazy valuation considering how nuts this thing can be in the future. So it's going to be one of these like CRISPR or Intella or Editas all slaying it. And, you know, I just want to shout out BLFS, BioLife Sciences, and a shout out to Austin Lieberman who gave it to us. Talked to me about it first in the 20s, now 35, and it's earnings the same day as Intella. That's the picks and shovels of this industry. So they produce the products that they use that Intella and Editas and CRISPR use. So double pound on Intella, double pound on CRISPR, double pound on BLFS, and also Editas. I think you know, one will be a huge company, if not all of them. And, you know, BLFS on its own can do well just because it's a pick and shovels of that space. All right, Tony, enough about me. Obviously, I'm just Avi Locks. Everything I say just hits it out of the park. But we have one from you. I don't know if there's a little bit of nepotism involved here, but we got one from Megan Harmon. I don't know your relation to her whatsoever. Maybe your girlfriend, possibly. You're picking Momentus, which is ticker symbol S-R-A-C. What is momentous? I have absolutely no idea, but I am willing to learn. Right. Yeah. I definitely not like biased in this regard because we, she found this stock and we were talking about it. And I was like, man, that'd be a sick thread for a pounding the table thesis pick and a great thread she did make. So I'll just read it from here. She's been looking at this long term potential play, momentous. It's coming to the market through the appropriately named SPAC SRAC, S R A C, with a growing space economy, which obviously, you know, this is just my injection here. It's not even started. It's going to be one of those healthcare waves into just different spaces. I mean, eventually we're going to go to space and, we're all going to be just like flying around. It's going to be sweet. But until then, let's just focus on how to get there and how to do that, which is what this company does. Um, and there's a need from companies like SpaceX, who they already have over a billion dollars in pipeline contracts with over the next year. So Momentus assists with the last leg of orbit delivery. So it brings goods like satellites to SpaceX's or another company's final destination. It's like that little last nudge to get it right in the perfect orbit area. So the satellite shuttles are powered by water plasma engines, which reduce the cost by two to three times. That is sweet. I feel like we're talking about like the physics of the future now which is why i'm excited about this play as well the team at momentus is filled with former spacex obviously huge raytheon obviously huge airbus engineers and eh, like that could be better but <laughs> among the first investors are y combinator and uh prime movers lab cough cough bill ackman why i'm hopeful they're filling a need for a growing sector which hasn't even started already forming great partnerships with the leaders spacex and getting attention from some great investors and why she's hesitant they have yet to be proven on a commercial level in December, Mentis will send the Vigoride, a satellite shuttle, on its first mission from the SpaceX 9 Falcon. So I think that that's just going to be really interesting to see because eventually you're going to have all these companies from space become huge, right? Like SpaceX isn't public, but if it was, right, it's got like a $50 billion valuation because it's the only thing that can take things to the NASA space shuttle so easily. And, and it's like by far leader in space travel at all. And you know, we're, you know, they're attempting to get to Mars and there's going to be other companies, the demand and the room for it, regardless if it's one or 10 companies is going to need that pick and shovel. So this could get just bought out by SpaceX. Why not? Right? Like if they need this and it's huge, like they're going to pay a premium for whatever and own it. But regardless, like you need those picks and shovels because SpaceX can't just provide it and create everything that you do in space. So this is kind of like we talk about like Grogue for the cannabis industry. Uh, we talk about BLFS for the genetic editing and bioengineering tech kind of industry. So this is kind of that for space flight travel and transportation. Biggest question on everyone's mind is, you know, 
do you break up with her or what happens if this does falter yeah we're we're gonna we're gonna have to have a talk if it goes to zero but i I don't think it will i hope this (laughs) hopefully space travel gets big yeah no pun intended on skyrockets bottom of the ninth here we are rounding the bases we have big earnings week and a lot of the stocks we do touch on so Jumia comes back into play. We got Jumia on Tuesday, as well as one of your favorites, Datadog. Thursday, we are looking at Farfetch, our Ponder's thesis from last week, as well as Celsius, which I believe was a few weeks ago as well. And then Friday, we have DraftKings, which is one of my favorites Was in since the IPO. Let's talk to these a little bit, Tony. Let's start with Jumia here on Tuesday. Right. I think Jumia is going to be a prove me stock on its earnings until it's not. So you have no idea. Like they've actually been rolling stuff out, which is indicative that they're doing something right and they know that they can grow. So they're taking that shot. Like they're doing that almost Jumia Prime pretty much like Amazon Prime, basically just a ripoff. But that's what all these companies will do eventually. That's the model, just depending on the space. And, they're you know, they're adding games to the platform and stuff. So are they trying to become like SC and like Mealy? Like, you know, that could be very interesting. I, I just this area is so new and I know somebody will take it over for e-commerce and payment processing. You know, they have Jumia Pay and that's been go- taking off a little bit more. But Somebody will own these spaces and would it be easier for Baba and Tencent to just put money in Jumia or, you know, like someone else to put money in Jumia and kind of run it through that at the cheap valuation because they already do have that infrastructure. Yeah, I think that would be a better place. Since I got back in on the swing trade, I've turned it into a longer term investment again. So I'm just going to keep holding it and see what happens. Like if I'm wrong, that's okay. Like I doubt it's going to go under eight again. And if it does, that's okay for me. Like, I, I just, I think that the upside is way too big to miss it, even if it takes some time. Because Mealy had the same start out as Jumia when it was first trading on the market. And and as a company too, like it had the same kind of growing, like it was just kind of stagnant for a while. And then it started getting exponential and now it's really getting like almost parabolic in its growth. So who knows? Yeah, I missed the Lion King, man. We got to get that theme song popping again. So we can hopefully... we can end it with Toto. We can end it from uh, Africa by Toto. Speaking of our little lion in Jumia, let's talk animals. We got Datadog coming up, man. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts? <laughs> What's Datadog going to do here on Ernest? So Datadog had that big partnership with Microsoft and that's very, very good for it. I mean, that's a huge amount of like, you know, data uh, that goes into their revenue and stuff. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. I don't know if it's already ran a lot, but it got that news near, I guess, the 90s. So 92, I think, is when that news broke out. So we'll have to see because maybe people think it's a little overvalued. Maybe they're not factoring in that deal with Microsoft till next quarter. But I mean, long term, this is still one of my top five, 10 stocks. So this is up there. I mean, I did move Datadog out because I wanted to move Fiverr in the top five because it went back to its levels and I was okay with owning it there. And I just, I see a lot of better upside in terms of stock price with Fiverr, just because it's easier to move at lower market cap and kind of similar revenue relatively. So still long data dog. I just, you know, I, I don't think it will go down 20, 30%. It's kind of going to be like one of those move five, 10%. And unless it's a huge upside surprise, I'm thinking. Yeah. And for those that are just listening, obviously we don't have any video, but for those that wanted to know, yes, Tony has now taken his shirt off because it's getting super hot. So the next picks we are talking about here are <laughs> Thursday is Celsius. It's clearly very hot over in San Francisco. And then you need to put a shirt on, as I mentioned, with Farfetch. You so go through Farfetch for your t-shirt. What are those? stocks going to do here on thursday so farfetch to me i think that the issue with that is that it did so well since we pounded it it was like literally 28 now it's like 42 after hours and my thought would be farfetch might have a negative reaction just because it's ran so much recently and you're not going to see the benefit of that like you know china expansion news 
inside of it right now, that'll be next quarter or the quarter, whenever, you know, that kind of happens, you, you'll see that on the next balance sheet, but there's obviously no time for that. If happened the quarter that they're reporting, cause it's already passed, but they can guide huge as a result. So the actual, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think is going to also crash and, and it might rip. So I think a lot of these have risk to the upside because of the good news or, you know, data dogs down from that to 118 with the news took it to on Microsoft. So decent size entries there, in my opinion, Celsius, you know, Avi, you ordered some Celsius. What do you think about it? It tastes phenomenal. I actually, and this is not an ad by any capacity. I, I was thirsty I wish today. it was. That'd be sweet. It was, yeah, one day we will. <laughs> but uh, it was 70 degrees here in New York, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. But I was very thirsty <laughs> and I did try my first Celsius. And actually, you know, I got a little energy. We'll see what the stock does here. Yeah, I'm sure they'll do well. I I think more and more of my friends in college have been buying Celsius and you're buying it. And I see other people on Twitter starting to get into it because they're like, oh, I'm investing in it. Let me try it out. And that's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, man. Well, just the thought of it, it was like you burn fat. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to the gym now. Maybe I can <laughs> drink this and then lose weight. Hopefully my fiance is not in her head asking anything I could do to probably lose weight. Last one, baby. We got Friday DraftKings, one of my favorites here. I've been pounding the table since the IPO. Uh, they just launched a few more states and, and things are getting on the ballot. And so pretty exciting. What are your thoughts though, Tony? You're the expert. People don't listen to me on this podcast. I'm just <laughs> entertainment. So what do you DraftKings, yeah, DraftKings, the obvious pick, though. I mean, I do think that with this, like, you know, we have a Biden presidency now, you're going to see betting in general in states be a lot more lax. So you're going to, you know, be able to do that more and more in different states. So that, that'll probably propel DraftKings up just on the hype and the momentum of it, like the first time when the NFL was starting and the NBA and everything. So I think people will lightly buy or lightly sell it, but I don't think that this is going to be something that can go to like 100, 200 very quickly. I mean, this thing like has a high price to sales and it is a high valuation, but I do see the need for it and like the growth potential in the entire industry. So, I mean, I, I don't really get, I'll just say neutral. Like, I don't really say that, but I'll, I'll give it a neutral. Well, that's not exciting here as we wrap up the show, yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. You know, we'd, we'd rather be honest here with our fans and followers than uh, fake pounds. So. It's rock and roll. Tony, we can't end on neutral. We are here to pound the table. All right. So let's pound the table. Let's not give our fans anything neutral. So market in general, where do you see the market going? Are you pounding the table on the markets overall? I know DraftKings was neutral. But overall, yeah. within the market, where are you going with this one? I, I think I'm bullish on the markets because so many people got so short and so risk off and so hedged and unlevered. That like the the speed and the strength at which the market bounced back, like I think there's still a lot of shorts underwater. I think there's still a lot of people who are like not fully a believer of this move yet. And I don't see the euphoria craziness. Like people are like, oh wow, this is stretched. Like usually you don't hear, oh wow, this is stretched when we're up this high. So that's not really like when I want to start shorting the market. So I, I think what will happen is as, as long as we're over 3428, we'll go higher. And like I do have like a 3724 target I had. That was after the target that we hit the last top. So that's Probably my next SPX target. And after that, it's just going to be kind of like a magnet to 4,000. But once again, I think that'll happen if it happens in short time. Like it's not going to be in six months. Like I'm giving that for the next two months before the Senate elections for the runoffs in Georgia happen in January. So unless we break under 3428, then I am going to be still very bullish. The little Ray Charles action, Georgia, Georgia. Georgia's going to be on your mind here. Stick to podcasting. Don't, Don't become a singer here. All righty, Tony. 
That wraps up yet another edition of Pounding the Table. So episode 15 in the books. Anything you want to leave our listeners with? I always give you the final pound. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I want to just pound is, I guess, a mindset philosophy. Just don't try to be like hands off and complacent in the market unless you are a completely you know passive investor you don't look at it ever but if you're out there like looking at it every day just like think 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 like what's being relative to each other what's acting stronger what's showing you where the money's going whether it's you know growth or big tech or whatever and and don't get complacent being like oh we're up 300 points the market looks so bullish and strong like i always say this to people that you're going to want to hedge before you think you need to because the second you want to hedge premiums are already extremely up for the put so like your stocks are already down so you're mentally already tough in a position to sell if stock went to 200 it's at 195 now you're going to be more mentally reluctant to sell that stock at 195 versus 200 so I guess my my final pound would be if you're out here every day doing this, think, like really think. So with that being said, Pounders, I think it's going to be a nice week for us all. So hope you guys have a great day.